from Hamster Wheel Publishing. This is Freewheeling. The show that answers your questions about veterinary business and leadership. With me, Dr. Dave Nichol. Hey everybody, Dr. Dave Nichol here, back with another episode of Freewheeling. Now the question I've been asked more than any other uh, at VMX, VMG here in the UK, and I'm absolutely certain I'm going to get asked it at OVMA in Toronto in a couple of days time is, how do I get more people to apply for my jobs? Um, you know, the market's slow, there's not a vets around, um, how can we attract more people, the right people into our practices? And there isn't a magic bullet. It's, it's the thing that everybody wants right now is how do I suddenly magic up like 10 vets, five vets, one vet, one nurse, one technician? How do I get them to apply for my job? And you could ask a better question to get a better answer. And, and what I mean by that is the, the question we should be asking isn't really like, how do I get more people to apply? The question is, where have they all gone? And and we've, we, as, as, as practitioners in this industry, we often, we love problem solving. We go straight to solutions. And one of the solutions we've gone to is we've got to open more vet schools. And this is this is insanity. You know, it wasn't maybe five years ago, six years ago, that we were all saying, we're opening more vet schools, there's no jobs for them to go to, this is crazy, blah, blah, blah. And in such a short space of time, we've actually gotten to the point where now we're desperate for vets and nurses. The problem, I don't believe, is to do with the number of vets entering the profession. The problem is what's happening to them after the end of the profession. And so this is the macro problem. And the answer to the question is, how do I get people to apply to my practice? The answer is in the detail of how we answer the macro. So the way we deal about the macro problem is we have to understand, we have to accept, we have to have self-awareness that the market is voting with its feet. The young generation, the millennials that are coming through just now, they're experiencing a similar-ish job to what we all experience. Like, it, although there are changes, um, there, there are perhaps increased client expectations. Well, maybe. I remember clients being pretty damn demanding even 20 years ago when I was coming out. The dog had made the transition from the backyard into the bedroom at that point. Like, they were, they were still family members when I graduated. So the pressure, has it changed? I don't know. The thing that's changed is the perception of pressure. And what's done that is really social media, the connectedness, this wonderful device that helps us in terms of communicating is also a massive burden and ramps up the pressure. Um, fear, fear of failure is, is absolutely a feature of the next generation of vets coming through. And where in my generation, failure was more tolerable and tolerated, nowadays, again, there's a perception that failure is the end, it's, it's doom. And that's a problem. But, and, and we fail to address that in the cultures and our practices. See, a lot of you have practices, and you're not going to like me saying this, but a lot of you have practices that actually the culture is a blame culture. And in a blame culture where something happens and people get blamed, they get in trouble, then there is a, there's a very low tolerance of failure. And there's a very low desire, there's a very low appetite to go out and fail, but of course there's no growth without some degree of failure. 
so the answer to where are all the vets going, how do I attract more people to our, my practice, is that we must do a better job in creating cultures where growth and exploration, um, uh, acceptance of failure is part of the process. Those are central to our cultures. If you can build a practice where you have set people up, not to succeed every time, but to have a system whereby failure is, you know, the downside to it is mitigated. So it's, it's relatively low stakes. And we do that through mentoring. We do that through careful um, support and m monitoring of what things we allow people to do. We do that through body systems. Uh, we do that through continuing education. We do that through being present as a leader and not disappearing um, when our people need us the most. We do that through being accepting that mistakes are going to happen and challenging people to get back on the horse and get better rather than blaming them for things going wrong. Um, we do that through finding the problems in our practice, the toxic place in our practice. You know, perhaps it's a, a toxic team member that, that really either hoards work and won't let the next generation do the work or, or when they do the work wrong, they criticize either overtly or covertly or undermine things. We don't tolerate behavior like that. We create cultures where uh, growth, failure, uh, we rejoice in, in the, the journey and the actual, that, these are things that are just part of the process. And, and we build systems that allow people to, to fail in a small way, in a way that's acceptable and in a way that they feel safe. Um, we have to have safe cultures, not blame cultures. And as, as, if you as a practice can start to develop an employer brand where you are promoting a culture that is a safe culture, uh, where, where you're supportive, where you can document that, when you can demonstrate that, when you're not, you know, you're not writing an advert where it says we're a progressive practice with all the toys, all the equipment, blah, blah, blah. People don't care about all the equipment. Sure, it's nice to have. But you can have the best equipment in the world, and if your culture is toxic, good luck to you. You know you're not going to retain staff, and you're constantly going to be on this horrible um, hamster wheel, merry-go-round, uh, ghost train, whatever, where you're just constantly feeling like the team are at war, and you're having to recruit people into that. And you know that's not a good feeling. You know that's not a nice place to work, and you know it because you're not enjoying the work and you're stressed out. You have to build a culture where it's safe, where there's joy, where really it's about connection and love through your leadership. You know, you are there to serve the team and to help them to grow. That's the paradigm we need to, to move toward. The thing that's changed, like we've always needed this. The thing that's changed is my generation, failure was easier and maybe we were better at it. This generation, they're not so good at failure and they're not so tolerant to put up with cultures that, that frankly, um, are pretty toxic. So I think we all have a hand to play. You know, we have a hand to play in creating those cultures. I think the next generation have a hand to play in being willing and open to fail um, and, and reframing failure as part of the journey. Um, and, and we have to create systems and processes within our businesses that allow people to fail safely. I really think if we can address those things, we'll be doing an awful lot better at retaining our people. And when we en masse start to do that, I think we can change for the better 
our veterinary culture, our veterinary culture club. So for your practice right now, what does that mean? Well, it means you can become an island of excellence. You can lead the way in this change. And when you lead the way in this change and you, you set about working in a culture like that, then I honestly think that you will not have problems attracting talent because you'll be one of the few places <laughs> where the team are happy to show up. Not just to work for the animals because teams show up in veterinary practices across the world every single day and they show up for the animals. But if you can create a culture where they show up for each other and for you, um, as well as the animals, I think that's one of the most powerful pieces of work that you can do as a leader. And I think it's one of the most powerful pieces of marketing, um, culture building, business building that you will ever undertake. And I think it's also the key to you being happy as an owner, as a manager, as a leader as well. So that's not a short answer. But any other answer is a band-aid. It's a it's just a it's a it's a it's a dressing applied to an open arterial bleeder and it ain't gonna work. Um, you know, I can teach you how to recruit people and I can give you processes, but if your culture sucks, it's not gonna help you. And all you're gonna do is waste money on recruitment fees. So there you go. How about it? How about we change the Ventry Culture Club? Are you up for it? Are you in? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let me know in the comments beneath. And until next time, as always, be well, be safe, be happy. Dr. Dave. Thank you for listening to that episode of Freewheeling. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, leave me a rating or review on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. Now, if you want to have your question answered, Hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. It's at Dr. Dave Nicol. That's D-R-D-A-V-E-N-I-C-O-L. I'll see you in the next episode.